0: I wish I could ask each of you what did you find out this week. Did you find anything out? Yeah. <laughs> how little attention I pay in general. <laughs> how a little attention I pay in general. Shown up by as we gather more attention, right? It's how we start to see it. Thank you. So I'm going to um, re- read the retreat description again. And you don't have to, like, score. <laughs> <coughs> oh. Right? It's not so much, you know, how did I succeed and it's self-evaluation of, actually, do I yet know that my body is the Buddha's, the Buddha's body? <laughs> it's not that. It, you know, these things are, are um, pointers and and yet the frame of the retreat, any frame we take, will allow certain things to show up for us. So... Here's what what we the story that we came into this week. And I want you to listen with your body, not with your brilliantly cultivated evaluative mind. Right. So feel your body. Sense your body. Tend in this bodily field through this bodily field and even if you think oh good as soon as i leave i can stop paying attention to my body they'll stop <laughs> they'll stop going on about body god liberate me from this attention to body well let me tell you something <laughs> um, you yeah, we, we, we will lightly you know, we'll have our habits, we will. Our default apertures will show up again. But, you know, one of the advantages of fully saturating the body as body through body is that it starts to slow our mind down. Have you noticed? The mind slows down. We're not trying to eradicate the mind, not at all. It is a gift, potentially, if it is, learns to take its place with its beauty and with humility in the cosmos. Your body, Buddha's body. Your mind light well it depends, your mind will lightly do. <coughs> My body, you know, it will probably disagree forever. It will find all kinds of reasons. Until it comes on board. Through contemplative practices we will explore how to relate to our human body as an instrument through which we can know the awakening of a Buddha. With the earth below and the sky above, your body is the meeting place of your heart, mind and the world. And it is here with practice that we can develop mindfulness, collectedness, Wisdom, the wisdom I, faith and energy which together allow our body to be the very location where we can number one, realize the path to the end of suffering and number two, come to participate in our life with greater meaningfulness and love. This is a moment more to listen to your body, listen as your body, let your body listen. Have you had moments this week? Have you recognized either in a glimmer or in a lingering knowing or perception anything along these lines? (coughs) Anything that's that opens as a doorway of yes something there I want to go further with something there opens as a gateway that speaks to me of more the more than me and by more than me more than the story I have taken myself to be more than the definitions the interesting ideas the very uninteresting ideas The very limiting ideas, the more than me. Have you had openings, recognized anything along those lines? Have you perceived yourself, this body? I mean, we say yourself, so I say yourself. Have you perceived your body? but it's as not your body? Or, yes, it's your body. It's not that we're giving it away. It's yes, it's ours to cherish, and all of that is still true. But have we perceived it as more than how I have taken this body to be so far? Any glimmers of this body as an instrument? And you might have a different poetic image or narrative for this, but as an instrument of perception that can be cultivated. Because intellectually we'll know that we're instruments of perception, right? We have senses, we have a mind, we see things or experience things. But not just knowing intellectually, but more than that sensing something sensitive and intelligent about this instrument of perception that can be cultivated and when we cultivate the collectedness the samatha this instrument of perception become opens to more kinds of perceptions we see more things we open to new ways of seeing new ways of experiencing And when I say that, that does not necessarily mean that that's something, nothing to do with our dukkha. Right there in the midst of that, we cultivate this instrument and we recognize more than we have known. And something in us sparks like a little flame that we want to know more about this. So listen to... What has sparked in you and care for that. Care for that. So, there's something I mentioned to you in the group meeting about um, Babette Rothschild's work on on The Body Remembers. Mm -hmm. I mean, presumably years ago that would have seemed ridiculous. Right. It would have been the head that remembered, wouldn't it? But it hasn't, it's forgotten it. It's covered it up, hasn't it? What, what she's working on. Right. So if thank you if we look at that, so what David offered was a particular reference to a particular book called The Body Remembers. And I'm gonna take what you've just said, thank you, and put that word remembering. So we can think like David says, yes, we used to think memory was sort of a brain function. And then there's an understanding now, the body remembers. And I'm going to open that up, not just meaning remembering past causes or past impressions, yes, things that have left an impression, but I'm going to open that word remembering right through to literally remembering, like what has become divided. What You know when we say something has been dismembered, has been fragmented and broken apart, it is being remembered. Remembered, yes, memory, remembering perhaps something about our place as human body, on earth, as earth, in a cosmos that is still vast and mysterious to us, where the questions of ultimate concern are of of ultimate concern to us questions of life, and death, and belonging, and meaning, and value, and ethics, and how, what to do with this instrument of perception while I'm here. So, thank you, as an instrument of perception. That is something that can be known here and now. One of my teachers used to say, very often we're not instruments of perception. We're instruments of repetition. We're repeating. We're repeating the same shapes and stories and patterns. We look out from our eyes. We hear out from our ears. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but after the flush of youth has passed, somewhere after things have become, you know, they've been exciting for a while or interesting or there's new things to do, at some point, A typical modern adult might think, well, yeah, kind of seen everything there is to see by now. Um, It's just kind of more of the same. Yeah, I could go to that other country over there. That might be interesting. But something in our soul, something in our heart and soul, not necessarily recognizing that maybe what we're seeking is an awakening of this instrument, to know and remember many, many, many things. So I want to give a definition of awakening from one of my teachers. And he starts by talking about the world. So our retreat description says, a meaningful participation in our life. This means considering our world. This is what he calls the world. So what we can typically mean by the world when I say that word as a modern person, often is that that's the kind of the thing out there, right? There's the world. There's me, and there's this other thing called the world, right? And also, check out and see if this is true for you. Sometimes we can think of the world or not think of the world as the kind of backdrop to me, there's me and my drama and what's taking place and the, good, the ups and the downs and the this and the that. And, the... and there's this sort of backdrop to it, like a sort of theater stage that we might notice once in a while, but sometimes we're busy with our, our, our dramas and we don't, or we conceive of the world as the backdrop to this one called me. So this is what he says about the world. <clears throat> From a Dharma perspective, he says the world means what we typically mean by the world, so all that, we, all that we see and sense around us includes that and includes the inner domains of the mind, the mind's beliefs, the mind's views, the shapes and patterns of the mind, as well as the immaterial environment of culture and of social structures. He says this total environment is what the Buddha referred to as the world. Right? There's not a world out there. From the Buddhist perspective, the world co-arises with the inner domains of our mind, our beliefs, our views, our ways of looking. And this, my teacher says, he will now call the cosmos, right? The cosmos. So the cosmos is not just the stars in the sky, but right from those trillions of galaxies that we were talking about yesterday, right through to this instrument of perception of this human body, right through Earth, social structures, inner beliefs, domains, right through to where we cannot see and sense any longer. And he says, this is the world that the Dhamma Vinaya addresses. And the Vinaya is the code of conduct for the monastics in the Buddhist tradition. And it's always together. The Dhamma Vinaya, they always go together. So this is the world that the Dhamma Vinaya addresses. And this is the nature of which we humans are an intrinsic aspect. This is now how he speaks about us. He says, we are the aspect or an aspect of the cosmos that can reflect upon itself. Maybe other parts can, but we know at least that we can. We are an aspect of the cosmos that can reflect upon itself. How about that? I mean, we kind of take it for granted, but we can look back and go, oh, it's like this, one of these, I'm experiencing this. I mean, don't you think that's kind of amazing? We take it for granted. It take, took us quite a while to get there. Can't necessarily do that as a very little one, reflect upon ourselves. We don't you know, when you're very little you don't normally go, Oh, I'm experiencing this. Here's a thought. Here's a mind state. Right? It's pretty it's a pretty extraordinary thing. This is we're the aspect of the cosmos that can reflect upon itself and can thereby develop a holistic wisdom, now listen to this bit, that can embrace, touch, and transcend any point or detail within that cosmos. We are the aspect of the cosmos that can reflect on itself and touch, embrace, love, tend, care for, and transcend any particular aspect of the cosmos. That can care for all but is not attached or confined to any one position within the cosmos. Are you attached to any one position within the cosmos? Even especially our meditation cushion, right? Or our spot in the dining room, or our walking path where somebody crossed and, and, hold on, this is my walking path. Attached to any one point in the cosmos. What is that point? that we might be attached to. Or that we can touch with love and transcend, meaning get wider than, climb beyond, so to speak. Self. Other. Are you attached to any others in the cosmos? What would it mean not to ignore them, but to love, touch, embrace that other, and be wider than that, not park our entire Life force there. Self, other, mind state, tree, it's a point in the cosmos. Society, culture, ideas, or even infinite consciousness. These are all points. These all can be known. And because they can be known and recognized, they pass away. They are not home. We are asked to touch, embrace, love, and transcend, get wider than any one particular point. (coughs) And he says the culmination of this development is awakening. The culmination of this development is awakening. Is awakening. Have you had moments this week where you recognized your place, where you took your place with sky above, earth below, here and now, not leaning forward to get somewhere else, not leaning back, denying our impact in an interdependent cosmos when you sensed the more than you, more than you externally, more than you internally. This Dhamma, as Anushka beautifully put last night, the issues for the Buddha at that time, there is a universal and timeless thread about this Dhamma that is trustworthy, where we can cultivate. So I'll pause that sentence. Somebody once asked the Buddha, there were lots of different teachers at the time he was living in, and someone asked him, how how do you know when I can, how do I know when I can trust a particular teaching and a particular tradition to follow and give myself to? And the Buddha said, "Um, if it has ethics, sila, if it has ethics, If it has samadhi, the gatheredness, the collectedness, the training of this instrument of perception, and if it has panya, wisdom, skillful, appropriate response, if it has sila, samadhi, panya, follow it, test it out, try it, trust it, go with it. So we want to look at all these domains. So the Buddha pointing to the suffering and the ending of suffering, and we've been practicing that this week, the clinging, the grasping is timeless. We grasp to the particular thing just like he did. We grasp to the particular thing like those of his time, and we learn to see the dukkha and that tendency to grip. And we learn the release from the grip. And how does this timeless, applicable teaching, as applicable then as now, how does this dharma take root in this era, in this time that we live in, in the lands, the new lands that it has come to? Because for dharma to be alive, for awakening to be something more than Um, a nice idea. It is something that is applied. Someone once asked the Zen master, what was the Buddha doing during her lifetime? And the Zen master replied, what do you think the Zen master, some of you know. (laughs) Some of you know this story. What did the Zen master reply? Zen masters, if you know Zen masters, they don't normally give you a lengthy answer in these nice stories. Right. so what was doing, the Buddha doing during her lifetime uh, you could say wow well, there's all these suttas and then, then he wandered here and then great, beautiful but that's not what the Zen master says what was the Buddha doing during her lifetime and the Zen master replied an appropriate response full stop what was the doing, Buddha doing during his lifetime their lifetime an appropriate response the, Buddha, the Buddha's intelligence and applicability is that it is responsive to the era, to the times, to the lands. You see the Buddha Dharma where it has gone to different cultures, it looks actually quite different when it has taken root deeply between India and Japan, Tibet. It looks really quite different. There is that deep core and the understanding of emptiness There is the ethics, the seal of the Samadhi and the Panya. There is the Four Noble Truths and that service to the end of suffering. But it interacts with the gifts and the sensibilities of the cultures that it meets. And it interacts and responsibly weaves to the crises and the sufferings of the eras and the peoples and the beings that it meets. How could it be otherwise? So what does that look like for us? And we making it up now. And not making it up meaning making it up. You know, like that's some fantasy thing. We're making it up. We are invariably involved. Whether you want to be a, in Buddha Dharma or not, it doesn't matter. As a human instrument of perception, we are involved in participating in making the world we are in. That is different from the extreme view that says we create our reality. No, that's too extreme a view. But also another extreme view is, oh, I can just like, you know, there's me, there's the world. I'm not very responsible. I don't have much impact. I'm not very important. That's not humility. That's an extreme view. As we take our seat, As we dare, as we dare. And whether or not you feel or care particularly about the world, I don't mind. Wherever we come in here, whether it's with my personal dukkha, I just want relief from that. Whether it's with our collective dukkha, I want to see a change there. Whether it's with our ecological dukkha, I really want to take care, whether it's with, actually, I don't mind about any of that, I just want to be cosmic. All of those are welcome. Whatever door is the door that sparks our interest, the door that speaks to me, and maybe you have several of those doors, all are more than welcome. For any of them to bear fruit, we have to line up, as Anushka has been so beautifully telling us and illustrating with the nature of things. We line up with the nature of understanding how conditions come to be, remembering not just past conditions, remembering how present conditions cause the future, remembering this instrument of perception, this samatha, even if I just want some nice samatha. Can you stop talking about the world and the crisis? I would like some nice samatha, please. Good. I want you to have nice samata too. And to have nice samata, we need this location here. We need our body, we need our heart, and for the samata to be rich and lead onward and steady and stabilize and fill out in its dimensions this instrument. We need to remember. Remember ways of knowing that have become lost to us, many of us, not all of us, and not all of them. Ways of knowing through the body that have become, as I mentioned the other night, denigrated, pushed away. Ways of knowing through the heart, actually, that have been undervalued or we have become suspicious of because of the emotional part that's that's also part of the heart. Imagination, instinct, intuition. Ways of knowing that got marginalized, overlooked, undervalued, and sometimes systematically oppressed. This legacy. I want to go into the history of all this right now. But just to say, maybe, as this instrument of perception, uh, yeah, really, really uh, beautiful story, not story, beautiful, well, it is a story, but something that I I had the privilege to participate in over three years ago. um, a, A group of nine indigenous women from different countries, so some from Canada, some from... Uh, the Caribbean, some from South America, some from Namibia, from Australia, from Sri Lanka, actually, Uh, and somewhere else. Came together, uh, gathered by one of them from North America, Um, and she had had her path, called her, her inner work called her to um, come to Europe and uh, go to the countries that had ostensibly been the colonial oppressors of these countries and come and remind us it was like incredible generosity come and remind us of ways of knowing not from them, from the ones that we also have been severed from, from these lands, at the same time as the colon- us, also as colonialists, went, many of us, to take what was not freely offered. So they came, nine women, and they came to Devon, they went to London, they went to Spain, they went to, I think they went to Holland, I think they went to... France, and we had a four day um, ceremony with them. They weren't teaching us their ways of knowing, except their ways of knowing that have not gone under were the instruments of perception that they. Graciously were reminding that us that went there to wake up to. And this one woman was standing on Dartmoor saying, this is such a good route here. It's a good route to the earth. It got severed. It's like, come back. Come back. Earth as matter, Earth as imagination, Earth as this body, as this heart, Earth as this bright mind, but dreamed and conceived in ways that they were inviting us to remember, to remember this instrument of perception. For our times, for our times, for our personal dukkha, yes, because the more that can come to the table here, made sacred again, the more we can care for our hearts, for our collective the more we can show up. Not necessarily called on to do great acts. Some of us maybe, and some of us, it's the daily waking up and taking our place with a little less fear, or with as much fear, actually, but enough faith and enough ground. our planetary system and I read on the BBC today, you know, Jakarta Jakarta is sinking North Jakarta in in Java is sinking by 25 centimeters a year as the waters rise as the sea levels rise due to planetary warming which almost nobody now Doesn't agree. I mean, some people really still hold out, but yeah, there's our influence, without a doubt. For the crisis in meaning and belonging, old systems are breaking down. our need for belonging some of the old ways that we knew how to belong either aren't available anymore or they don't hold up, something about them might feel like it doesn't hold up in the light of our modern or postmodern sensibility where we have come from so where can we put our roots what are we being called upon to wake up to what does awakening look like? With, this, with the ethics, and my brother was visiting me uh, where I live nearby here a couple of weeks ago. And I have, I, one of my, I have lots of brothers. One of them, and he was reading a book called The Moral Compass. I think it's quite a popular book at the moment and it's something like a global history of ethics. <coughs> and, um, and, and, uh, he 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 went home a few days later, and then he WhatsApped me and he said, "Kath, I've lost my moral compass." <laughs> <laughs> he goes, "Did I leave it with you?" <laughs> and, and I and I chuckled. I don't know if he found knew the joke that I found that sort of like, "Wow, this is really poignant." Um, not because his ethics are worse than mine or anything like that, but just like something of the narrative of that. You know these there's this a call for something how do we how do we respond here you know what does non-harming look like now with our five precepts in the light of our understanding of how we impact each other what does ethics look like what does not taking what is not offered look like what does what does non-harming look like when we we know we have the capacity and we do as I'm gonna make the assumption wealthy people, relatively, to our world, wherever you are in this group. Right. So, so I said, try the floor of your car. And he goes, no. It, uh, and then I wrote back. I said, any joy? And that's what I, I don't know if you, my mom, you know, if you've, if any luck with your endeavour, any joy? And he WhatsApped back said. Well, I haven't found my moral compass, but I have other joys in other area of my life, in other areas of my life. <laughs> right. But it's all on WhatsApp, so You can't tell if we're sharing the same fantasy or not. <laughs> and then I it, let let it go. And a couple of days, he wrote back on the WhatsApp. He said, "You'll be pleased to know, Kath, I found my moral compass in the glove box of my car." <laughs> and I I could hear this sort of country blues song, you know I found my moral compass in a glove box in my car <laughs> didn't know where i put it but it hadn't gone too far and I left my moral compass and I could just imagine this kind of, you know, it's like it's kind of poignant in a way and, and you know, that's something collectively co- our collective moral compass as a species is like, whoa! Well, how do we get the bearings here with the issues that we're asked to Understand now that the Buddha did not have to understand. He was brilliant. But that kind of understanding, the collective media that lets us see each other and whatever story we're going to tell ourselves about what we are as a species, right? Are we biological beings um, uh, trying to survive? me? Or are we as we practice and our perception opens of what we can be we might be that that's one story we can have but as we open this practice we see more than that we see and not just recognize intellectually but know through our bones more and more. And not just through this practice, through the many things you do and the many homes and cultures that we've come from and all of that. It's like, yes, bring this, please, thank you, homage to this brilliance of the Buddha's root because this root in emptiness, this root in ethics in the way it's described is is quite brilliant, actually. And let that root take root here, And how can we tend, if you wish, to that root or whatever elder roots you are putting down? You you don't have to be a Buddhist. But we will be invariably involved in this world. And if we want to take care of our personal dukkha, we want to line up with the nature of things. And what is the nature of things? We see this aperture, this lens of attention to, yes, the particular of my particular things and to my body and to this planet and at times we've opened this week to the vastness interior, interiorly and exteriorly inner and outer what narratives and archetypes can act as beacons for us that inspire us and call us because whether or not, as human beings, we make it as a species, I don't know that. But what does a freedom look like that is not dependent on the conditions? What does a freedom look like in this era that is not dependent on a perfect world and yet knows our interdependent place in it, as it, through it. What's that look like? So lining up, this isn't this isn't a, a, a talk to tell us what we should do, because, in a sense, part of the freedom of this era, where some of us are wondering, what, where do I, which bit do I belong to, and how do I understand and pay homage to the roots here and the roots there and the roots there. not about what we should do part of it, it, there's something about this deep deep individual and unique responses that are also in harmony with what is collective what is ecological and what is this way way beyond mystery for which this planet is a tiny 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 point tiny point I want to tell you a story I can't remember if I talked about him last year but one story I really love of a man called John Francis did I mention him last year? he's a North American yeah, yeah. Um, and I encourage you to to look him up on YouTube one such a person um, who in, in the 70s actually um, was driving in his car and this is where he found his moral compass also uh, driving in his car and um, uh, with his partner and he witnessed an uh, oil spill at that particular time in the Bay Area and um, he wasn't I don't think particularly from a, a planetary minded or ecologically minded story particularly but something really touched him about the, 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 the pain he could see of the, the animals that were covered in oil and the, and the awful destruction that can happen. And he sort of joined a few dots, you know, oil, car. Right? So this is, this is really not, you know, our responses are all going to look really, really different. right? But I want to tell you his story because it's beautiful. And, he's, and he said, um, something like woke up in him, he kind of lined up. And this man, he's got a face of happiness. He hasn't got a face of righteousness. He hasn't got a face of, you have to do it this way, because I'm doing it this way. He's got a face that's creative, that looks like, to me, you know, I've you know, only seen photographs, and I've only seen him playing the banjo on YouTube as well, and him and talking, of course, but he, he carried the banjo. And, um, you know... He decided to um, give up oil, power, transport at that point, And he decided to walk, uh, only walk from there on. And he walked across North America, I think the USA, maybe Canada, I'm not sure. He walked across the USA like several times. And after a year or two, he, he decided um, that he talked too much. Um, and that he never really listened to people properly, so he decided to be silent as well. And this isn't from Buddhist tradition at all. He decided to be silent. And so he um, decided to be silent and walked across North America and did three university degrees silently, um, somehow. Um, And... Something like I can't—I don't remember the exact number of years, but this was his response, and it looks creative and joyful, and he looks like a happy man to me. Um, and he, um, something like seventeen years of silence, maybe twenty years without using oil-powered transport, and, and then he said, "Okay, yeah, that's complete now. I don't need to keep doing that." not because he thought he was right or wrong or any of that but more he had completed that way that his guidance had led him to that particular lifestyle changed and he was invited to different places to teach and he flew and he did you know what he needed to do and he um, did his thing but he one of the things he's if you want to look in my piece called planet walker which I don't know if he actually walked the planet but it might be a um, but planet walker and one of, one of the insights that he speaks of so beautifully, um, movingly, touchingly, is again around this word environment. You know. And he said, there is no environment. We are the environment. It's not something other. We and our relationships and the way we relate to each other and everything That's what makes the environment pretty much picking up the definition I read at the beginning, right? The inner life is what we meet the other through and with. This instrument of perception I meet the other one with. My mind, my beliefs, my views, my ways of seeing, my ways of... It's with the other, it's with this instrument of perception, this body and these ways of knowing my heart, as far as it's made ready, my body, as much of it has been recovered and remembered and gone deeper with imagination, sensitivity, mind. This is the, This makes the environment. And we together, and you know this, but he conceived of it in this very... Um, big frame. We are the environment. How we meet, the conversations we have, the ways we love, the ways we respond. Let us take our seat as this aspect of the cosmos that can reflect upon itself, that can be freed from um, freed from you know like when we open to the size of the, the cloth as one beautiful poet Naomi she had nigh space when we open to the size of the cloth and we might get anxious like oh my god I'm gonna, you know Do any of you feel that sometimes? When fear of the world comes upon me, or fear for the world comes upon me, then we can take care of that. That in itself doesn't need to be what moves us. To touch, embrace, care for any point in the cosmos and get wider than it. Not having to be motivated by guilt. Taking care of guilt, touching it, opening to it, understanding it, widening around it. Not ignoring. not having to be motivated by get me out of here (laughs) we will be at times but seeing that tendency that normal, that pull that tanha to withdraw to disappear to not take our place in an interdependent world take care of that touch it, care for it, love it transcend, get wider opening to what we love Not being afraid to love deeply what we love for fear of attachment. We will, we'll be trialing and erroring all the time. We're human. We don't have to be perfect. But love what we love. He loved what he loved. And he let that move his action. If we let ourselves love what we love with as much wisdom, with as much kindness, with sila, the ethics, samadhi, this instrument, panya. As the instrument gathers, the insight comes in a little bit more flexibility to respond to ourselves and each other. Because what else are we gonna do? And I don't mean because of the situa- of the difficult situation, there is beauty. There is beauty beyond beauty as a human being takes their place. Not conventional beauty, not limited beauty, not a beauty that is there that I console myself with because actually things are really difficult. No. A beauty that is not divorced from justice, from truth, It's not a, it's not a compensation, but a beauty of soul and spirit that we see throughout human history. In John Francis, in you, in those moments when we remember, sati mindfulness called sati in Pali is sometimes translated as remembering remembering, remembering, remembering what does it mean to become available piece by piece to our inner life with delicacy with equanimity with kindness, with compassion, to touch, embrace, and get wider then? Does that mean to meet what comes to us with groundedness, with delicacy, with joy? What does an awakening of this era look like? For you. For you. And let this be, if you're interested, all of our discussion. I think we're past the point of that kind of top-down, this is what you have to do now. You know, that's part of what we're freeing up from, hopefully. This is what you have to do now. (laughs) But can we have the dialogue together to know what freedom looks like, what justice, truth and beauty look like, for your benefit and for the benefit of all beings. And as I say this, watch if the aperture of your attention shrinks even just to this planet or opens and condenses around an oh my God. Opening, embracing, touching and transcending any single point. Breathing in and breathing out because when we line up it's quiet when we line up some of the static ceases when we line up with nature the nature, not just nature meaning tree we line up with the nature of how things come to be, something in us relaxes, whatever the conditions. You know probably more examples of human beings, and you may be those human beings, who act in their Daily life with courage and conviction, with a compass that is up to date, that is straightforward. that is humble and bold. So let's sit together for a moment and please take your place in your cosmic awareness Right now. caring for any of those scrambling voices of the flickering that might say but but what a in.